This is the Remnant Warrior, and you are now listening to Return of the Historic Faith on the Next Chapter Radio Network. You are now listening to the last day's Return of the Historic Faith with your host, Pastor Jeremy Anderson and Brother Matthew Marcel. This podcast is for the kingdom Christian in the end times. As aliens in a foreign land and ambassadors of our king, we proudly fly the flag with the cross as we sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hey brothers and sisters, welcome to another episode of the Return of the Historic Faith. My name's Matthew Marcel, and uh, Brother Jeremy's not going to be with me this episode. Uh, we might, uh, depending on what the ho- how the Holy Spirit leads, we might do another episode of this, and he might uh, join me on the next one, or do one uh, on his own on the next one, it, however the, the Spirit leads us to to handle this but this is something that god put on my heart uh to to share with y'all and uh this i'm entitled this episode uh kingdom response to real conspiracies so i just wanted to start out uh by going through some Throughout the Bible, there's, I mean, dozens and dozens of examples of of this, of real conspiracies. Uh, and that word conspiracy has kind of been painted a bad, uh, as like a bad word. I'm not, con- I'm not talking about conspiracy theories per se. Uh, I'm talking about conspiracies that are true. Conspiracy just means that something that people conspired evil man conspired uh against somebody to do something in deception with uh they they got together and planned evil things so i'll give some examples throughout the bible old and new testament of uh conspiracies uh justin martyr one of the early christians uh I won't for sake of time because we've got a lot to cover. Uh, there, he um, talks about conspiracy against Jesus, even at his birth with uh, King Herod trying to kill him. Uh, I mean, Jesus is he. That's the pivotal point in history. So, I mean, that's that's a good place to start. We. Uh, the Pharisees constantly tried to conspire against Jesus. Uh, one of the exam- a, a very clear example, and there's <laughs> all through the Gospels, you read all four Gospels constantly, it's talking about the, the Pharisees not liking what Jesus is saying, and being in the darkness, they want to, uh, they're being exposed by the true light you know, as, as 1 John talks about, and 
Uh, it, and also John chapter 3, I'm sorry, John chapter 1, John chapter 3, uh, the gospel of John, that is, talks about the, the light exposing the darkness. And it's uh, Matthew chapter 12, well, that's a good place to give a, a very clear example of uh, what the what the Pharisees did uh, to it, let's go to that right now Matthew chapter 12 uh, we'll just read this so in context I'd ex- encourage y'all to read the, ch- the rest of the chapter for context on your own but basically Jesus just healed uh, a man's hand in, uh, on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees were coming to him uh, and here in verse 14 it says but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him uh, It, I mean this like I said this is one of many examples of the Pharisees conspiring against him the ultimate where that led to was uh, them getting Judas to them uh, tricking Judas and having him to believe that Jesus was a false teacher and Judas eventually betrayed Jesus and we'll get into that here uh, in a little while because that is going to be a, a big example because Jesus is our example on how to respond to these conspiracies that these these men that were conspiring against him because Jesus is always our example. Men are not our example. I'm not anybody's example. Jesus is always our example. We can't judge Jesus based on what men do. We have to go to Jesus being our example. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But going back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 with the serpent, you know, the uh, Satan in the garden uh, conspiring against uh, God and, and uh, deceiving uh, Adam and Eve into the (laughs) sinning and eating the the forbidden fruit that god commanded them not to do um that was the i guess you might say original conspiracy i mean you uh depending on uh when you think uh genesis 6 happened i mean that may may have been the first conspiracy i uh you know with the and if you don't know what i'm talking about read Genesis chapter 6 but I won't go on a rabbit trail but uh, many would argue that Genesis chapter 3 was the first one you know Satan uh, conspiring against God in the garden another example in Genesis uh, this is Genesis uh, chapters 37 through 50 is the story of Joseph you know his brothers uh, sold him into slavery in uh, chapter 37 verse 18 uh, it says in Genesis 3718 uh, and when they saw him afar off even before he came near unto them they conspired against him to slay him so it, it, this is the story where Joseph's brothers are jealous of Joseph, and they conspired against him to kill him. But they decided they were going to make some money off him and sold him into slavery into Egypt. And he was set up by Potiphar's wife. 
he went to uh, prison for a long time throughout this time he was faithful to God through all this and God ended up using him to save the whole region from famine and in Genesis 50 20 it says that what what man intends for evil God intends for good so through Joseph's faithfulness to God God used all the conspiracies against him all the the plotting and the the terrible things that were happening to him because Joseph was faithful to God God ended up using all those things and turned them around for good God didn't cause those things but he used those things uh, we have the example of Daniel in chapter 6. Uh, Daniel chapter 6. You know, Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, it, uh, the man, uh, Daniel was really, had favor with uh, King Darius. And uh, the men didn't like Daniel, the wicked man. And they conspired against him to trick King Darius into passing a law where no no one could be worshipped. No other god could be worshipped but the king. And Daniel obeyed the laws of that that country he lived in up to the point of it disobeying God's law, which uh, Daniel continued to pray to God, uh, the true God, Yahweh, through uh, even though it was against the law to do so. And in return, he uh, King Darius was under obligation under the law he himself passed, because uh, in that culture they couldn't reverse the law like that it there were certain rules to to the laws and passing laws and whatnot anyway he was forced to have to throw daniel into the lion's den but god but because daniel was faithful to god god he still was in the lion's den but god preserved him through that and in fact the men who conspired against daniel was then later thrown into the the den of lions and the scripture says that their their bones were broken before they even hit the the bottom of the den by the lions uh we have many other there's scripture uh talks about conspiracies in first and second samuel first and second kings second chronicles psalms nehemiah jeremiah uh ezekiel amos all these these books talk about different conspiracies and and we could get into those on a later show if y'all would like but i just wanted to show that throughout the scriptures there are uh conspiracies whether uh, in the different contexts of the different ones we would have to go into the context into the chapters into the scriptures and and read the context so i'm not at all take trying to take anything out of context but i wanted to hit on a couple specific ones uh, with importance to how we should respond to that because that's what the the main point is the point of this whole episode is not to get caught up in all kinds of rabbit holes and all kinds of to mess like that but to the most important thing is how we should respond to these real conspiracies not theories but the real ones right so let's look uh in acts chapter 23 is another example uh the jews conspiring against paul in Acts 23, uh, verses verses 12 through 13, uh, it talks about, it says here, And when it was day, certain 
uh, certain of the, the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were more, and they were more than forty which had made this conspiracy. So there's another example of of a conspiracy, but Nimrod, uh, his him conspiring against God in, in Genesis chapters 10 through 11 that I would say is the same uh, conspiracy that uh, has birthed all the conspiracies that the all the the things today right the the new world order the uh, Illuminati the cabal whatever you want to call it uh, these people are real. These these real things that are happening. Uh, it's not. Uh, <laughs> now there's certainly some things that uh, you know theories out there that can or cannot be proven. But the the fact is that this this idea, this new world order, is a real thing. It's not a pretend thing. It started back in the days of Nimrod in the Tower of Babel, trying to unite every everybody under one common um uh goal which was to um reach up to heaven and to uh basically just overtake heaven overtake god uh this conspiracy against god himself uh it's nimrod was is uh you could say is the original antichrist character um and that and we go into a whole show on that in itself and how that plays into revelation and uh <laughs> i mean that all that ties into revelation heavily but i won't go on a rabbit trail there uh i actually won't really even go into any more current conspiracies that are going through right now because most people are aware of most of them. I mean, this is coming out where people are starting to realize what's going on and waking up to these things. I would encourage everybody listening, if you want to hear any more about uh, current things that are going on right now, and I'm not talking about theories, I'm talking about real things, I would encourage everybody, I would recommend uh, the Fall Brothers documentary, uh, Belly of the Beast that would be a it's that's a reliable source um that i would recommend to people that i would i would feel comfortable recommending to people is if you want to get if you want to understand more of what some of these things are talking about i would recommend you looking up the fall brothers belly of the beast documentary but for the rest of this show i'm going to hit the main topic the main uh point the the what if you don't get anything else from what I'm talking from this episode. This is what is most important in the episode, I guess I should say, is the kingdom response to these real conspiracies. These things that are legitimate, uh, but we'll we'll get into it. So, how should a kingdom, a, a citizen of the kingdom of God, a follower of Jesus, a believer? Uh, that's onto the vine, right? Someone who is 
uh, a follower of Jesus, how should they respond as an ambassador of the kingdom of God, a citizen of a different kingdom, to the real conspiracies? Well, for one, this whole uh, political gospel, this political um, uh, false awakening that's happening in, in America right now, this... Uh, I, um, I'm not saying all revival is false, but if you know what I'm talking about, this is a false revival of people uh, yoking themselves uh, with New Agers that are saying much of the same things that much of us Christians are saying. uh, There's many, many, many New Agers that are uh, exposing the, the real evil uh, in the cabal and thing, I mean, they're exposing the obvious evils, right? Um, you have, you know, the Clintons and the the uh, Bill Gates and uh, the Bushes, all these people that are uh, the the obvious evil, right? I mean, it doesn't take much discernment to see, or much even biblical knowledge to see that people like uh, Hillary Clinton is. <laughs> is not for God who is, that she is uh, evil I mean she is it, that's the obvious one right but the fact that these new agers are say, who are who are exposing these things is they're saying many of the same thing much of what they're saying is true and many professing Christians at least here in America and Europe, are yoking themselves with their uh, joining forces with these people who are, uh, and I'm not saying the people themselves, but the the movement that the the spirit, the new age, it's that's our spiritual enemy, right? That's literally what the apostle uh, John said was the spirit of the antichrist the new age is the spirit of the antichrist i mean that's what he says in first john uh, chapter four talking about the the gnostics that whole book is his his counter to the gnostics false teachings the gnostics is the new age you look at their teachings of the gnostics that was the exact teachings of the new age today the new age today was the gnostics of the day of jesus or the apostles rather that so john literally says then i mean he's talking about the gnostics but he is he says that that um that religion of the new age which taps into pretty much every religion other than true biblical christianity it taps into and that could be a whole show in itself as well but it taps to into um the roots its roots go into every religion in the world just about um in one way or another other than true biblical christianity but Anyway, that's another topic for another show, but Second uh, Corinthians six fourteen. Let's see, Second Corinthians six fourteen through eighteen says, "Do not be or 
Yeah, 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with uh, Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you're the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and do not and and touch not unclean no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be the son, be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Second Corinthians six fourteen through eighteen. Uh, it says. In Ephesians 5, uh, verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. It says in James chapter 4, verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We, I could share more and more and more scriptures on the the separation from yoking ourselves with our spiritual enemy, and I'm not talking about people themselves, the 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 flesh and blood blood people. You know, as Paul said in Ephesians 6, our war is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the the rulers of the darkness of the air, the the demonic, uh, the that's that's our spiritual enemy, the principalities behind uh, the new age, the that is pulling the strings. That's what this is: is the same puppet master, the the ruler of this world, as Jesus said, is Satan. In John and also First John, and also in Second Corinthians four, uh, Satan being the god of this age, of this world. I mean, that that Satan being a little g god of this world. He's that that same puppet master pulls both strings, not only in politics, the right and the left, but also in this whole false dichotomy of. Um, the false light and the darkness the it's the ultimate we the we as truthers we understand what the Hygarian dialectic is but for those who don't know what that is it's the the same person provides the problem they control the reaction of the people and then they provide the solution I could give many, 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 many examples of this. I'm not going to go on rabbit trails and <laughs> rabbit holes on all these, but there are many examples of this, very recent-like and also throughout history. But the ultimate Hygarian dialectic, the ultimate problem-reaction-solution, I believe what script, that Scripture says that Satan will provide the problem and give the solution to his own problem that he created. He that's how he will deceive even the very elect, as Jesus says in Matthew twenty four twenty four verse twenty chapter twenty four verse twenty four. It's uh, if it's possible, he said it will deceive even the very elect if it was possible. So think of like 
we'll, we'll get into that more in a minute but just hold on to that 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 idea of um the false dichotomy of um the real problem satan providing this problem that is the new world order the uh illuminati these these things that are real that are truly um the the satanic ritual abuse and the child sacrifices all these things that are actually going on these real things he's providing these this problem so that he himself could come and quote unquote save us from the problem he himself created appearing as the savior right so like a thief or think of a an evil man uh that would go a mile ahead of a train and set up dynamite on the tracks and then go back on the train and save the train from the explosion he himself just set up that the people on that train will look at him like they like he uh, is the savior of the train even though he set up the problem so he can be the savior of the situation that's what that's that's what uh, I believe scripture shows and we'll get into that in a little while uh, Satan doing and deceiving the world and even the very elect if it was possible uh, but so more importantly than that even let's go back to Jesus being our example right so we uh, talked about a while ago about Judas betraying Jesus the conspiracy of the Pharisees against Jesus right and in uh, bringing in Judas to betray Jesus so how did Jesus respond to the cons- the the men that were conspiring against him that's what is uh really more important than anything else we're talking about is what jesus did how he responded to these things so let's look at that that in uh i believe it's in mark's account as well but we're going to look in matthew and luke's account right now uh and if y'all want to go into mark's account then that that get as much context as you can you can get on these in these uh in these scriptures i'd encourage y'all but for time's sake we'll go to matthew uh chapter 26 actually we're, we're going to start at luke uh luke 22 verses 31 through 53 so we're go to luke 22 Verses 31. Okay. So, uh, and the Lord said, and this is at the Lord's Supper, this is the Lord's Supper, right? The, the last supper, uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed, right? So they're eating at the last supper. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is betrayed in the garden. He's, um, taken and brought before Pilate and goes to the cross dies for our sins resurrects on the third day this so this is the the last supper in the context and the lord said simon simon behold satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat but i have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted strengthen thy brethren and he said unto him lord i am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death and he said 
I, I tell thee, Peter, that the cock, the rooster, uh, shall not crow this day before that thou shalt uh, thrice, thrice deny thou knowest me. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse or script to shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said nothing. And said he unto them, But now he that he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his script. So he's calling back to when he sent the disciples out back in uh, Matthew 10. Uh, he sent them out. He, he, he told them they didn't need anything. He would provide everything for them. And now he says, uh, and li- Let him take it and likewise his script. And he that have no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Uh, for I say unto you that this that this that is written must be accomplished in me and he was reckoned among the transgressors transgressors for the things concerning me having in so many will take this uh jesus telling them to sell their their uh their their things and go and buy a sword uh without reading the context the little very next verse that says this was done so that it, the the prophecy was could be fulfilled that he was numbered among the transgressors. So, is Jesus really commanding his disciples to be transgressors of the law? That would be what people arguing that Jesus is telling his disciples to go buy swords to start a rebellion or self defense or any of those things would have to say is that Jesus is telling his disciples to be transgressors he's not he's making a point he's saying i sent you out before and you didn't need anything so why do you think you need something now so pete he's reading the context peter's saying i will go to prison for you i'll die for you and he said you're gonna be tempted satan has asked to sift you like weed you you he's getting jesus in his foreknowledge knows what's fixing to happen Right, and he says right here, uh, he's he's saying, re- listen to all this context, right? So Jesus is he's fixing to say, uh, pray that you're not tempted, right? That you don't fail, that you don't fail this test here. He he, but he knows that that he says right here, this ha- this has to be done so that the prophecy is fulfilled. That I will be numbered among the transgressors. By and we're fixing to understand what he what he means by that in a minute. And they said, "Lord, behold, here are two swords." And he said unto them, "It is enough." So, two swords are enough for the rebellion against the Roman Empire. Not likely. So, again, look at the context. Why Jesus said that? He's making a point that they don't they don't need these these things that are. Um, weapons of the flesh they don't that you know as paul says in second corinthians chapter 10 that our though we walk in the flesh we don't war after the flesh but our warfare is not carnal but mighty through the power of god for the pulling down of strongholds right like i said a minute ago ephesians 6 he says that our war is not against flesh and blood but against the principalities the the demonic rulers of the air so it's 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 a, or we fight with different weapons, Paul said, and what Jesus said. So that's the the point of the of his conversation here. So, and then it says says they went out to the Mount of Olives at 
he said in verse 40, Pray that ye not enter into temptation. Uh, he goes through um, he his prayer to the Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. Uh, he we're skip on and again read the context of this chapter just for time's sake because we've got a lot to go over i'm skipping a couple verses but go back and read this whole chapter but he says here why you sleep in verse 46 rise and pray lest you enter into temptation uh okay so here verse uh 47 uh, and what? And while he yet spake, spake, behold a multitude, and he. So here in verse verse forty six, and he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. What temptation is he talking about? We're fixing to find out. And while he yet spake, behold a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went behold them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said unto him, Judas. Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And when, when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one, see, because Jesus, and at the very least, if people want to say, well, Jesus told him to go buy a sword, at the very least, let's go to, let's not make a doctrine off of silence. Because even though Jesus said to go buy a sword and my point is that Jesus's point is he's making a point that they don't need a sword. But if we're going to go just to what Jesus said and hold to that, he never said to <laughs> to use a sword to to start a rebellion or to kill anybody. He literally simply said, go and buy two swords. And then he explained in the next verse what that was for. And he knew that they already had him. He said that was enough. So... But I'm just saying, we don't need to be making doctrines off silence. People would say, well, Jesus said to go buy two swords for defense or for rebellion or whatnot. But that's not what he said. So here it is. Verses later, he said, uh, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? In the same chapter, several verses later in the same chapter. And one of them smote. They, they didn't even give Jesus a chance to respond. Because he knew what they were going to do. It says, And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staffs? When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. So, Peter went out and cut the man's ear off, the the servant of the high priest. And Jesus told Peter to put his sword away, and we'll see more in detail what he says in Matthew's account in a second. And then he heals the man's ear. So what is Jesus' response to the... We're seeing what Jesus' response to these conspiracies are. So he doesn't fight with the weapons of this world. He fights with spiritual weapons. So let's go to uh, Matthew's account in uh, Matthew 26. We'll go to verses... 
47 through 56. Um, and while and and while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came in with him a great multitude with swords and staffs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayeth him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And uh, forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, he calls Judas friend, Wherefore out, wherefore art thou come? And, come? and came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. And said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword that's going to come into um, account here again after a while later in the teaching when we get into revelation but he for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword thinkest thou that i cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels but how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be and that's so again he calls back to that again he he's showing again uh back in the the last supper he says this must be done talking about the the disciples having the swords and cut he knows they're going to be peter's going to cut the man's ear off he says this must be done for the prophecy he says again how else shall the scriptures be fulfilled that that thus it must be and it in that same hour said jesus to the multitudes are ye come out against come out as against a thief with swords and staffs for to take me i sat daily with you in the te- you teaching in the temple and ye laid no hold on me but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets must be fulfilled he says it a third time then all the disciples forsook him and fled so in context is clear what jesus is saying right it again people could take that and run run with it and and make all kinds of doctrine out of it to to make them feel more comfortable about um what their culture says or whatnot i used to take that argument of the two swords uh and argue against what i'm saying right now but in context that argument falls apart that jesus is telling them to go and uh defend themselves against the romans i won't go into it anymore may i actually in a different episode we will go into it more but there's a lot more we could say on it but i'll leave it there for right now and i'm not necessarily talking about the sword itself the like weapons itself uh uh in acts Peter had, God gave Peter the vision of the the animals coming down on the tarp, uh, saying that all animals that he made are clean to eat. Uh, he said, "Kill, rise, kill, and eat." So he's t- there's nothing wrong with hunting, uh, using guns uh, to uh, you know to hunt things like that. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm not against guns or anything like that. I'm, but again to say that jesus is uh 
saying that his disciples should have the sword to go and defend themselves against the Romans. That's taking um, silence because Jesus didn't tell them to use it to do those things. That's making doctrine out of silence. It would be much more consistent to say that Jesus is making a point against it in the context because the context shows that and that's consistent with all the other things he says uh, in Matthew chapter 5 um, we'll get into that here in a minute but loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you uh, it so how did Jesus respond to how did Jesus respond to to uh to the people, the man conspiring against him. So, in Second First Peter chapter two, Peter says here. Uh, in verse 11 and I would encourage y'all to read this whole this whole chapter but uh, I'll just read uh, part of it for right now but in verse 9 but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy dearly beloved I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims that's foreigners aliens in other translations it says abstain from fleshly lust which war after against the soul having our conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers they may by your good works which that which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king and supreme or in the governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers or for the praise of them that do well for so is the will of your father uh, the, the will of God uh, that with well-doing ye may, ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of God honor all men love the brotherhood fear God honor the king servants may, uh, be subject to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle but also to the forward for this is uh, thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For unto, for even hereunto ye were called, because Christ, here it is, Jesus being our example, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. 
who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live in a righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So Jesus didn't rise up against in rebellion to uh, the the governors and the kings and the the Caesar. Uh, he, as Peter said, submit yourself to them. And so people can't say, well, Jesus had to do those things because he had to die for our sins. Well, yes, he did. I mean, we can't, we wouldn't even be here if Jesus didn't die for our sins and and submit himself to that. But look at what Peter says here. You can't miss this. He says, Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Paul Paul says the same thing as Peter says in in, uh, Philippians 2. Go through and read Philippians 2, talking about Jesus being our example, right? So, we can't we can't uh, get around that. We have to if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to actually follow what Jesus taught and what He did, right? Uh, as as Phil Baker says in his book, uh, his new book, um, Faithful Witness, he says the way into the kingdom is also the way of the kingdom. So the way into the kingdom through dying to ourselves and surrender of our lives that's what Jesus did for us to bring us into the kingdom that's also the way of the kingdom is dying to ourselves so that Jesus can live through us and surrendering ourselves to God that that the way into the kingdom is also the way of the kingdom he's our example and we are to follow him that's why we're called followers of Jesus so what what did Jesus command us to do? What did Jesus do himself, being our example, right? So what does it say in uh, Matthew chapter 5? It says here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, Ye have heard that it had been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twine. That's two. Give to him that asks thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. thou away. Ye have heard that it's been said of old time. Uh, ye have heard that it had been said, Thou shalt. So when Jesus is saying, You heard it was said of old time, talking about Old Testament. Old, uh, old Testament Israel was a, a nation in the kingdom of this world, right? We are citizens of the kingdom of God, the two kingdoms. The two kingdoms are at war with, their, with it, each other. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Which is Jesus told Pilate in John chapter 18 verse 36 that his kingdom is not of this world. For if it was of this world, his servants would fight that he wouldn't be delivered to the Jews. But from right now, it's not, it's not from this world. It's not from this world. So all, and we've gone over in, in previous episodes uh, in detail how what scripture teaches on this. But the nations of this world fall under the kingdom of this world. 
so uh the in in the old testament israel was a nation in the kingdom of this world it was set apart for god but it was a nation in this world that's why they could take oaths they could bear the sword because nations in this world have to do those things as we're going to see what paul says about that in in uh, romans 13 but it's that the government doesn't bear the sword in vain that it's but that's what jesus is saying he's saying you have heard it was said you have heard that it had been said thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy but i say unto you love your enemies bless them that curse you do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh the son, his son, to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So that's what Jesus commanded us to do. He, he, those are the commands he gave to his army. They're not pass, pacifist commands. Those are commands to his army. We're uh, fighting the true enemy that is behind the flesh and blood men is what uh, Paul said in uh, Ephesians 6. It's, uh, it's we're, by loving our enemies and laying down our lives we if it were to come to that we are fighting the true enemy the so what did jesus do what did, he commanded these things what did he do as our leader was he a leader that didn't do what he said or was he a leader that did exactly what he commanded us to do one well, romans 5 6 through 11 it says for when we were yet without strength in due time christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die but god commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners christ died for us so i just wanted to point this out here in verse 7 uh, he said perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die but God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Jesus said. He said, "What good is it if you?" And that's what Peter said too, and what we read a minute ago. What good is it if you uh, do good to those who love you back? Right? Uh, do, do not even does not even the world do the same thing as that? But this is what we're commanded to do as followers of Jesus, as citizens of the kingdom, representing the 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 our kingdom morals our kingdom laws that that uh right as jesus said uh father may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven may your the will of god of the father the god the father may be done in the kingdom of earth as it is in the kingdom of heaven being ambassadors representing our kingdom but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life and not only so 
but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So it says here in verse 10, it, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, while we were enemies, Jesus died for us. And John chapter 15, he says, His command is that we love others in the same manner that He loves us. That, what did He do for us? While we were His enemies, He took our place and died for us. And He commands us to love others in the same manner as He loved us. He died for us while we were His enemies. So I just wanted to point that out. That's Jesus' example. So, Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 13, Paul gives us an example of the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God looks like in Romans chapter 12. And then he gives us an example of what the kingdom of this world looks like in Romans chapter 13. So, I would encourage everybody to read both chapters 12 and 13, but for time's sake, I'm just going to read a couple verses in each. So, in chapter 12, this is the kingdom of God. He's literally paraphrasing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here. In verse 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't, don't be like the, the world. Don't conform to the world. Be separate, he says. Don't be, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Proving that, that showing, representing the will of God, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's his teaching his commandments that he told us to teach others and disciple others to observe and obey is what he said in uh, matthew 28 in the great commission making disciples of all nations teaching them to observe baptizing them and teaching them to observe all the things that i've taught you right it says here in verse 21 of romans 12 be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good in the verses before that, it says, uh, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as it lieth, uh, lieth in you, uh, live peacefully with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him a drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what we do. So what about the kingdom of this world? I would encourage y'all to read. It's only 14 verses in chapter 13. But, well, let's just read it. So, it says here, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. 
He's talking about rebellion, right? So Samuel uh, told uh, Saul in the Old Testament that the spirit of rebellion is the, is as the sin of witchcraft, which is interesting because the rebellion that Saul had in his heart led to him literally practicing witchcraft and going to the meeting, which led to it's 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 the same. It's uh it's it's the same in God's eyes. Samuel said the the sin of rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt uh, have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. Talking about the, the government. Uh, for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So he says that the the people placed in power, God puts rises up kings and sets them down. It says in the Old Testament. So it, it's a, it, God is the one who puts kings and, and rulers in power. It's it's he God is sovereign. Just because. God is using someone to do his will his ultimate will doesn't mean that that person is a righteous person so God uses so we have free will and this shows God's ultimate sovereignty that even though we have free will to make our own choices and decisions God's ultimate will is accomplished even through our free will Right, so and I won't get into that because that'd be it's a whole nother episode. But uh, wherefore uh, ye must must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for continence' sake. For uh, for for this cause, pay ye tribute also. uh, For they are God's ministers, attending, like Jesus said. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar. Give unto God what is God's. Caesar made the currency. He made the... uh, So give him the taxes if he requires it. Caesar made... He... We even pay taxes on our property. I mean, the deed may be in our name, but if we pay taxes on our property, the government gave us the property. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's if he requires it. Give unto God what is God's. We God made our body. God made our soul. Caesar, the government, didn't make our body and he didn't make our soul. We ought to fear God more than man. Fear the one. Don't be afraid of the one who can take your your body, but be, uh, your life. But be afraid of the one who can take your body and your soul in hell. Jesus said in Matthew 10. So... Uh, render therefore to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due custom to whom custom fear to whom fear honor to whom honor owe no man anything but to love one another for he that loveth another has fulfilled the law for this thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not kill thou shalt not steal thou shalt not bear false witness thou shalt not covet if thou be there be any other commandment is briefly comprehended in this saying namely namely thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself love worketh no ill to his neighbor therefore love is uh, love is the fulfilling of the law 
and that knowing that the time uh, that that know it is high time to awake out of this out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed the night is far spent the day is at hand let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light let us walk honestly as it is day not in rioting and drunkenness not in chambering and uh, wantonness not in strife and envying but put on the lord jesus christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof so he calls us against rebellion against rioting against um, resisting the the governing authorities up to the point of it disobeying God's law and even when we uh, must object to obeying man's law when it disobeyed God's law we don't do it in uh, violence of the flesh we don't do it with fleshly weapons with uh, weapons of this world we humbly and gently obey God even if that means disobeying even if that means disobeying uh, the government of this world uh, we're to obey the law up to the point of it disobeying God's law like Daniel uh, the example he said that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh also in the book of Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar set up the statue, they were obeying the law up to that point when, up to the point of idolatry, and then they respectfully, they didn't uh, act in disrespect, but they respectfully disobeyed specifically only to the point of of the specifically only the point of um, it compromising God's law, and then they were persecuted for it. They were thrown into the into the furnace, just like Daniel was thrown into lions den, just like Noah was sent through the flood. But God preserved them. God preserved Noah in the ark. God preserved Daniel in the lions den. God preserved. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the furnace. God will preserve the faithful. That may not necessarily mean... It could mean that He will preserve our life here. But ultimately, what really matters is that He will preserve us eternally. And that's... Jesus said, He that endures to the end, the same will be saved. He said that not only in Matthew 24 talking about the tribulation but he also said that in Matthew 10 when he sent the disciples out it it's the all seven churches that Jesus wrote to in the first couple the churches that he wrote to in uh, revelations 2 and 3 all seven of them he ended it with he that overcomes he that overcomes he that overcometh that's a it's imperative he that overcometh God will preserve the faithful. Sometimes that means our lives, not every time, but most importantly, eternally. Remember that. That's our hope that we hold on to is eternity. Our perspective that we hold on to, that's 
that's the whole point of of uh, everything Jesus taught is eternity perspective. That this when when we take our last breath, our first breath is in eternity. So no matter what happened to us here in this life, it'll pass away. But what won't pass away is what happens eternally. That that lasts forever. He during his Olivet Discord, you know, people talk about Matthew twenty four. That's the most uh, commonly thought of. It, Jesus also had it in the Gospel of Luke. And in the middle of him talking about all the stuff going on in the Great Tribulation and and running, not going back for your coat, going for the hill, all that kind of stuff. In the middle of it all, he says, "Remember Lot's wife." That's all. And then he goes on and talks about other things. That's all he had to say. That remember Lot's wife. Three words here. That to that people understood what that meant. You go back and read in Genesis 19 the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's family was being escorted out, evacuated out of Sodom and Gomorrah because God was fixing to completely destroy it. The angels were commanded them not to turn back. But Lot's wife couldn't let go of her earthly possessions, her earthly home. She turned back and scripture says she was turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus is out of love reminding us, commanding us to not try to hold on to our earthly possessions that he says will rust and thieves can break in and steal. He said don't store up your treasures in on earth where, where it could be taken from you, but store up your treasures in heaven where it can't be corrupted. It can't be taken from you. If you store up your treasures in heaven, I would encourage y'all to to read um, to to go back and listen to rather uh, the quote that I read from Hermes uh, in the last podcast, the one about uh, voting and politics that Jeremy and I did. I read a quote from Hermes, which uh, was an early Christian, and, and I believe it was the year one fifty is when he. Uh, he said this but uh, it's I, I, since I read it last time I won't take the time to read it again but I strongly encourage y'all to go back and listen to that and really take in what, what he's saying he's basically say, he's he's paraphrasing in his own words things of what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount eternity perspective not being surprised when the ruler of this world or the government in this world takes what is his when caesar takes what is his your whether that's your uh possessions your homes your uh every all the things that that we can we can accumulate in this world if it's taken back from you don't be surprised when that happens and don't compromise god's law so that you can keep those possessions that will fade and then he says very clearly in the quote and jesus also talked about this very clearly that if you you're compromising on on what god says to please man so that you can uh you can have all these things these possessions you could hold on to them then you can't go back to your your city is what Hermes said talking about the kingdom you it 
it's uh, Jesus. Jesus said that what is it? What is it gain? What is it for a man to? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world but lose his very soul? It. What is that? What is that of eternal gain to us if we if we lose our very soul in the process of trying to gain things in this world? I'm not talking about. Not saying it's wrong to own your own house or own your own land or anything like that, but this this uh, idea, this dream per se of just getting more and more and more and more and more. If you go back and listen to that quote from Hermes, that's what he's talking about: is accumulating all this stuff in this world that will fade away, that will burn away when Jesus returns. It's he, he said, rather store up your, your store up things that will last, just like Jesus said. And he talked about take care of the widows and the orphans and things that, that will last in eternity, those things. I mean, it, Revelations 12. We'll go to Revelations 12, Revelation 19, and see what happens when Jesus returns. The, the first things that happen immediately when Jesus returns, right? So it says, I'm sorry, Revelations 11. Uh, Revelations 11, uh, uh, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So immediately when Jesus comes back, these king, these governments in this world, these kingdoms, the part of the kingdom of this world, they will be they they'll be gone. Like Jesus will completely wipe it out. Here in the same same uh it's a, di- a different vision from john in chapter 19 of revelations of the same uh happening the same thing when jesus comes back but it's from a different uh vision different perspective it says here revelation 19 We'll just start with verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doeth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he that had and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So right here, it's talking about Jesus. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in and fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it should, should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with an iron rod of iron. And he treadeth the wine presses of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And goes goes on and, and talks about the, the battle of Armageddon where Jesus with the uh, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword and with a, a rod of iron he smites the nations of the world. It's 
when Jesus comes back, all these things will be made right. These nations in this world will, will be crushed. It doesn't matter how good the nations look. They're part of the kingdom of this world. There's always, always, always an angle. Every time we put our hope in a man, in a leader in the kingdom of this world, we will always be looking at and putting our hope in a counterfeit and a false hope. And at best, even if they have good intentions, it'll be a temporary hope to the true. It's always a counterfeit hope to the true hope that we should have in Jesus, our King of our kingdom. If we're followers of Jesus, followers of the narrow way that is Jesus, there's only two ways and two kingdoms. The Bible teaches the way to life, eternal life, and the way to eternal death. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Where your allegiance is, is where, is, that's, read the Sermon on the Mount. Read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus takes allegiance very seriously. He says, swear no oaths. No oaths of allegiance. Pledging your oath to any, your allegiance to any other, uh, just go back and read the listen to the last episode that Jeremy and I did. We go in detail on on that the two kingdoms and in the in the being allegiant to Jesus as King, but putting our hope in a man to fix these real problems, these cons, the the men that are conspiring against God and the nations and against people, the humanity, uh, the the deep state. You know, the New World Order, these real threats that are really there. Putting our hope in a man to fix these things will always lead us down the road to destruction. There's a, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end leads to destruction, it says in Proverbs. Jesus is the only way that leads to life. It is only through Him and our true hope being in Him that we will find life. He will make things right when he returns. I wanted to give an example of an early Christian response to what we would call today a false flag. And something that was set up as a lie, as a conspiracy to set up some a group of people and specifically Christians to paint a false narrative, a uh, creating a problem to control the reaction and, and give the solution, right? The Hygarian dialectic. It's not a new thing. Back in uh, the first century when Nero which was he was an emperor back in the apostles day he he burnt down rome and i believe it was 74 ad I believe it was 74 ad that that rome burnt and he see christianity was spreading like wildfire throughout the empire it 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 could not be contained through persecution nero was arguably one of he was the worst uh, emperor 
persecuting persecuting Christians that ever lived up to, to up to this point, up to the point of whenever the Antichrist comes on the scene. Nero was the worst persecutor, arguably, uh, throughout the last two thousand years. So what he would do is he would he would drive stakes through Christians, uh, like big sharp poles through them. And he would, uh, while they were alive, burn them, cover them in tar, and burn them alive to light his gardens at night. He would throw them to wild beasts and gladiators in the in the Colosseum games. He was ruthless and merciless to Christians. He was a terrible, terrible. And that, and remember what we just read. What Paul said to the Romans in Romans 13 about submitting to the government, including these evil men, these persecutors of Christians. Not long after he wrote that letter, Paul had his head cut off by the Caesar in Rome. So it, it's he's not just talking about the good one. Like uh, Peter said, we read we read in First Peter chapter two. Peter said, "Even the forward, even the the uh, not just the good masters, but even the ones that are not that are evil, that are not good, that God still uses them. He sets up kings and puts them down. It's not just because God's using him, someone in their in His sovereignty, doesn't mean that they're a righteous person. The Old Testament is full of examples of God." using different pagan and, and evil kings and nations to do his ultimate sovereign will. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't want them to come to repentance, but we all have free will to choose to follow Jesus or to not, to follow the way or to, to not. But God, in his sovereignty, can use our... Uh, even though we have free will decisions, this shows how sovereign God is. That even though we make our own uh, free will decisions, God's ultimate will is still done. And that's shown so evidently because thousands of years of prophecies are being have been and are being fulfilled in detail. Thousands of years before, after, after they were written originally. So it... But I, I won't go on a rabbit trail on that. But it, I just wanted to point that out. But Nero, he he couldn't contain, he couldn't stop Christianity uh, from spreading in the Roman Empire. So he burnt down Rome and he blamed it on the Christians. But here's the thing. Not many people actually believed that the Christians burnt down Rome. What was the Christian early Christians, the first century, the apostles and their the people they that they discipled? What was their response to this conspiracy against them, this false flag against them? Is is uh, us in the truth or you know community might call it a false flag? Uh, what was their response to them? Did they rise up? and riot and and rebel and say no we didn't do this and and fight fire with fire did they uh, go against evil with evil means did they they use evil means to to try to accomplish a good end no they do what paul said they didn't they weren't overcome by evil but they overcame evil with good their life 
their lifestyle showed and reflected what Jesus commanded them to do and what Jesus did. They followed Jesus' example because he is our example. And the people in Rome said, you expect us to believe that these Christians that love even their enemies, even the men that break into their homes and steal for them and they give them their 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 coat as well and when they're stroke striked on one side of the cheek they turn the other also they feed me when i'm trying when i'm cursing at them they pray for me when i'm i'm saying all kinds of evil things to them you expect me to believe that these people that love even their enemies burnt down rome it completely did the the opposite the counter to what nero was trying to do it even spread the gospel more because people saw, saw the the uh, inconsistency in in the government and they saw the consistency in the Christians. So this is my question. This is my challenge to everyone listening as it is my own first that I evaluate my own life first. What a, a Christian today and and just say I live here in America just say you know the in America or Europe the West right so what would uh, a false flag like this that happens today give it the example of the 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 capital right when uh, <laughs> after the election last year the capital building was rushed and all that kind of crazy mess and I'm not getting into if that was planned if it was set up if it was real if it was fake there's a lot of evidence that would show that it was set up but i'm not going to go into all that regardless of the point of if it was set up or if it was completely real and i mean it it's there's that's that's not the point of the my point is when the 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 powers that should not be that the the shouldn't be the 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 government the the, the men that are pulling the strings behind the government, right? The the deep state, whatever you want to call them. When they, they painted this picture of Christians, and specifically conservative Christians, because that's, I mean, I'm not even talking about, you know, Christians that have all kinds of liberal the, theologies and things. I mean, that's doesn't take much discernment to see that those kind of people aren't, they're not they don't take to the bible they're not living out there i'm talking about conservative christians that profess jesus and to some point actually follow what the bible says now go back and listen to the voting and politics episode uh, much of the professing uh, church at least in america um they kind of pick and choose what they want to follow in jesus as far as Jesus' teachings it's so but that's a topic for that other episode but but they painted this picture this stereotype of um the conservative christians are the ones who who was responsible for rushing the capital and all this other stuff so what did the world say whenever they painted this picture this stereotype that of us what based on the way we live our life did they actually believe that, oh yeah, these these Christians that say that they're Christians, say that they follow Jesus, 
I could totally believe that they would rush the Capitol and act in this violence because of the way they respond on Facebook to the different things, how how aggressive they are on Facebook, how, uh, I mean, there's people that are blowing up abortion clinics, there's people that are acting all kinds of hateful to people, and you don't even have to be doing those kind of things to uh, be be uh, falling into these stereotypes. I mean, really, truly evaluate your life, not based on what I'm saying now, but read the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus said is the will of the Father. What Jesus, the way Jesus commanded us to live our life, the way He said, if you live this way, if you build your life on this rock, His teachings then your house will stand in the storm. But if you don't build your life on these teachings, it will fall in the storm. It, 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 are you living your life based on what Jesus commanded in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7? Can the world look at you and say, I don't believe that those are Christians that rush the capital because that's not what they, that's not the way they live. That's not the way they live their life. They don't do the things that the government's lying about. Could they really say that about this or can they, could they believe what the government says? Really evaluate your, does your life look any different than a conservative non-believer's life? Jesus, I'll read this this briefly. I would I would encourage y'all to read it in much more greater detail, uh, in context. I mean, as far as Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, Sermon on the Mount. I'll just read the last couple verses here. Uh, well, here in verse thirteen of Matthew seven, enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there which go in thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth into life and few there be that find it beware of false prophets which come in you it come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravening wolves ye shall know them by their fruits read what jesus has to say in john chapter 15 about fruits and what happens if we don't bear it and what happens if we don't abide onto the vine he says that we are cut off of the vine and wither and thrown into the fire. That's in John chapter 15. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bring forth, bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not for good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that comes, that not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus just got done in the last three, two and a half chapters, teaching us what his the will of the Father is. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And if people are casting out devils, they're not doing it on their own authority. Read the story of the sons of Sceva when they tried to cast the demon out of the man in the name of the, the Jesus that Paul preached. The demon looked at him and he said, I know who Paul is. This is an axe. I know who Paul is and I know who Jesus is, but who are you? And the demons put a whoop on 
the two men that tried to do that, they weren't using Jesus' authority. They were trying to do it in their own authority. So if if people are casting demons out, they're doing it at some point in their life in, in Jesus' authority. In thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, so in other words, because of what I just said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and in context, the sayings are the teachings he just got done teaching in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We just got done reading a little while ago about one of those teachings, those those foundational teachings of loving your enemies and blessing those who curse you, uh, not taking any oaths at all. Here he... Therefore, whosoever hear these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And when the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded. These teachings are foundational. You cannot get around them. This is foundational stuff. This is why the early church, the Didache, they this was this is what they taught. Before the scriptures were even wrote down and put into a Bible in the 300s, that they the uh, teaching of the apostles, which is what the Didache means. This is what that this is what they taught people when they wanted to be baptized and be a Christian. They taught them the Sermon on the Mount. It's a paraphrased Sermon on the Mount because it is foundational. You can't get around it. This is the very bottom. This is this is the, what you have to build your life on. If you want to last through the storm. Jesus said that they that, that house survived. Not just survived. It, it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. Shall be likened unto the foolish man. Which built his house upon the sand. And when the rain descended and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. That's how when this storm comes, we hear all the time the storm's coming, this storm's coming. When the storm comes, you can watch the news and see the clouds brewing. When the storm comes, this is how Jesus said you will, your house will stand in the storm and it will not fall. If you, it, it goes beyond our understanding in the physical. The kingdom of God is a paradox. It's the complete opposite of what you would think. It's a paradox to the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world says we go and fight for our freedoms. We go and fight for our rights. The kingdom of God says, I'm dying to myself. When you're in the kingdom of God, you've already died to your flesh. Daily, you're surrendering. You're denying yourself daily, as Jesus says in Luke 9, and following Jesus, taking up your cross and following Jesus. Because you're living for a different kingdom. You're living for eternity. You're not living for this world that will die and fade away and burn. You're living for eternity. You've got to understand this perspective. You've got to understand the eternity perspective that Jesus gives for you to understand the eternal worth that what the to to know the worth that the cost is costing you. You've got to count the cost when you give your life to Jesus, but you know the eternal worth in it. 
Jesus said, men will hate you. Read the, the last part of John chapter 15. It, he says in John chapter 15, If the world hate you, verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, because I have chosen you out of the world, therefore therefore the world hateth you. And he goes on and talks about uh, how the world hate, hated him. It hates his, The world hates him. He hates the Father. It, it's... It, it's a constant theme. Jesus says this over and over and over through the Gospels. I mean, it's not something he says once or twice. It's something he says over and over again throughout the Gospels. You read this. Jesus said that men will hate you. Read Matthew cha- uh, chapter 10. It. I mean, it, it's expressly clear. It's a complete surrender to him. We don't get mixed up with the world. These false flags that the that the the world that the government is painting us is painting these stereotypes on us for is leading to a charge of treason. You see many conservative uh, Christians uh, getting riled up and stirred up on purpose. I might add this. All this this stuff is so in your face today that it stirs people up on purpose but not enough to where something is actually done about it it's they show just enough to get people divided and stirred up that to get people to where they're fighting mad and they're they're hand, they're acting in their flesh right so this but they get so stirred up they they say they see all these blatant obvious evils going on with the you know clinton emails and all these things that are real things they get righteous i mean like uh that is that is evil but jesus will make it right we don't make it right paul said don't avenge but leave leave vengeance for the wrath of god so it it's right now we live in this this age of grace so that all men can come to repentance Peter talks about it that God's will is that no man that God is not slack in his promises but his will is that no man should perish right so when he comes back he will in his wrath take care of he will take make all things right he will crush the governments of this world he will he will uh, judge evil men but we will also be judged I will be judged based on what I do with what Jesus said. I just read in Matthew 7 what Jesus said. Not Those aren't my words. Those are the red letters. What Jesus said, he will be looking at on Judgment Day. What we did with what he said. He that doeth the will of my Father. These people see these these people like the Clintons and they say well that I used to say these things I, <laughs> uh, several years ago I I would say these I would say things like uh, 
all the all these treason all this treason all these traitors of the of the country right that they need to be um executed and hung and all this other stuff that that the the right says you've got to understand that they're setting us up christians up to be charged with treason you've got to understand that jesus said one of the the teachings he said was foundational and also james in chapter 5 said above all things take no oaths at all lest you fall into condemnation condemnation that that oath of allegiance that is why the early christians were persecuted we see this in scripture we see this in Acts 17 Acts 17 in uh, verse 6 and when they found them not they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city crying these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also it's in the King James in the next verse in, chap- in verse 8 that, that was chapter 7 This in the next verse in verse 8 in the uh, New Living Translation it says and Jason, also, and Jason has welcomed them into his home and catch this listen to this they are all guilty of treason against Caesar for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus understand that that's why they were persecuted it the the when the Jews told Pilate, Pilate didn't want to sentence Jesus to be crucified. The Jews said, "We have no king but Caesar." He made it to where he made it. He put Pilate on the spot, saying, "If you defend Jesus, you're going against Caesar. You're giving up your allegiance to Caesar." Right? They told him who their allegiance was to was Caesar. And then they said, let the curses be put, the blood be put on them and their children and all those things. The early Christians, Rome persecuted them because of treason. Because their allegiance was to a different king, the king of their kingdom, the king Jesus. Tertullian, uh, he says this very clearly in his apology uh, which is a defense uh, to in his defense uh, to the emperor Marcus Aurelius, Aurelius Antoninus in the year 197 AD he says it is upon this account therefore that we are convened as guilty of sacrilege and treason this I take to be the main article and may be looked upon as the sum of the charge against us and therefore deserves a particular discussion. And we doubt not to acquit ourselves in this point. If prejudice and injustice be not our judges, if then, as I have elsewhere declared, we, uh, we Christians are expressly commanded by our master to love our enemies. Whom then have we left to hate? And if when hurt we must not return the evil for fear of being like the rest of the world, where shall we find a man to hurt? But if we 
would not revenge ourselves in the dark, but as prof- uh, professed enemies engage you in the open field, do you think we could not? We could want forces, the Moors and uh, Marcomians and Parthians, which you have lately conquered, or any other people within the bounds of a country, are more n- numerous, perhaps, than those who know no other bounds than the limits of the world he's saying christians are they go through uh they're in all the nations of the world they don't have their own uh borders their own they're not (laughs) advocating they're not advocates for open borders and all that stuff i mean it they didn't get involved in politics at all but he's saying that christians are just like we have christians in america we have christians in iran we have christians in uh, China, we have Christians in the countries in Africa, we have Christians in Mexico, we have Christians in Canada, they're all over the world. We are but of yesterday and by today are grown up and overspread your empire, your cities, your islands, your forts, towns, assemblies, and your very camps, wards, companies, palace, senate, form, all swarm of Christians. Your temples indeed we leave to yourselves and they are the only places you can name without Christians. What war can we now be unprepared for? And supposing us unequal in strength, yet considering our usage, what should we not attempt readily? We whom you see so ready to meet death in all its forms of cruelty, was was it not agreeable to our religion to be killed rather than to kill? So he's saying if it was if they were violent people, there were so many Christians throughout the world that if they wanted to overthrow the the empire the roman empire they could have easily done it but he said but in their religion which is christianity to be it is more it is better to be killed than to be then it is better to be killed than to kill talking about loving our enemies and what jesus did and giving his life even for his enemies and in good truth, nothing is further from our soul than the thoughts of mixing in state affairs or in any private designs. The more you mow us down, the more numerous we grow. And listen to this. The blood of Christians is seed. So. Are you ready to be called a traitor to america are you ready to be called a traitor or to be charged with treason to whatever country you live in because it's coming it it may not be here today it may in in many other countries and in uh places where it is strictly illegal to be a christian to even profess the name of jesus it's considered and most, most of, a lot of those countries do be treasonous, but also not just to the country, but to the the state religion, uh, Islam, or uh, even in China, it's a it's a treasonous thing to the the Chinese government. But are you ready to be called a traitor to America for those who live in America? Are you do you love your country more than you love God? You're the country you live in. Or do you recognize that you are you belong to a different country? You belong to a different kingdom. You're passing through this kingdom. You're an ambassador to 
the kingdom of heaven. You're ambassador for the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of this world. You're as Jesus prayed to the Father, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to represent as ambassadors the will of the Father in the in the kingdom of earth as it is in our kingdom in heaven. So Paul, or let's let's go to this Revelation, uh, or let's let's go to this. So this is in First uh, Thessalonians chapter First Thessalonians chapter 5 But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travaileth upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that th- that, that day should overtake you as a thief. So he says, "You, it's not going to overtake us like a thief if we're paying attention." Like Jesus said, that the man, if the man that owned the house was awake and paying attention, he wanted to suffer his house to be robbed. And the con- that's in Matthew twenty-four in the context of what Paul's talking about as well. The end times when Jesus comes back, he says that we won't know the day or the hour, but we will know the season that we live in by the signs. And he said that 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 the generation that sees those signs won't pass away until all those things are fulfilled. That's in Matthew 24. I'd encourage y'all to read that as well. Ye, all, ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, <clears throat> and let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Who is our hope? The one who saved us, Jesus, right? So, here in verse 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. And esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded support the weak be patient toward all men see that none render evil for evil unto any man but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men rejoice evermore pray without ceasing 
in everything give thanks, for this is the will of, the, of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophecies, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. In the very God of peace sac, sac, sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your Holy Spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. And he he ends the 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 chapter there. But I also wanted to read in Second Corinthians chapter two. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the gathering together unto him that ye be not soon shooken in mind, nor be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. So he beseeches the brethren, he's talking to the brethren, believers, on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, and the gathering together unto him, the rapture. That's in verse 1. Here in verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. So he says, don't be deceived. This is something people will try to deceive you on. He said, Don't be deceived, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, talking about the Antichrist, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This temple that they're trying to build in Jerusalem right now, Paul tells us who it's for. It's not for the true God. It's not for Yahweh. It's for the Antichrist, the man who opposes himself and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself to be God. He said, this, the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He said, these things in verse 1, the coming of the Lord and the gathering together on him won't happen until... The falling away happens, and the man of sin is revealed in the temple. He's literally paraphrasing Jesus' Matthew 24. If you read that whole chapter in Matthew 24, and go ahead and read Matthew 20, 25 too, because it's the same conversation with the disciples, believers. He's talking to believers, followers of Jesus in Matthew 24. That's who that's who his audience is, is believers. Just like Paul's audience in 2 Thessalonians 2 is... As he said, I beseech you, brethren, believers. Paul's talking to believers in 2 Thessalonians 2, and he says the same thing that Jesus said when he talked to believers in Matthew 24. Right? Matthew 24. He says, Take heed, and verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name. So we could take that as, and he says, saying that I am the Christ and shall deceive many. We could take that as people saying that they are the Christ. Or we could take it as him saying people will come in the name of Jesus, saying that Jesus is the Christ. Right? Wolves in sheep's clothing. Like he said, you know them by their fruit. He said in, in Matthew chapter 7. Many will come saying that Jesus is the Christ. 
but they will deceive many. And and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So he said, when you see these things, the wars and rumors of wars, the end's not yet. So these are the the travailing, the the woman and labor things that, that he talks about. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, that nation against nation. That's it says the uh, that's the people group. It says in the Strong's that's races of people, race wars, right? Like we're seeing today. Nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and they shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. All nations. Jesus will not be popular in the world. A popular Jesus in the world is not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus said, this is one of the many, 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 many times Jesus said you will be hated because of him. And he shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Read again, read Matthew chapter 10. He's saying very similar things back when he sent the disciples out. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The love of people will will be will grow cold. People will, because of their sin, their selfishness, they they love not the truth, so they believe the lie. Right as Paul says, so that because they love not the truth, they believe the lie. Paul said. Their their love for people waxed cold. It it was hardened. Their heart was hardened to their love for people. And then Jesus said in verse thirteen, "But he that shall endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved." And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. What did he say? The gospel of the kingdom. Then he goes through and talks about the abomination desolation. Just as Paul talked about in Second Thessalonians two, uh, and running to um, the mountains, all these things that which was a, a foresh- uh, foreshadowing of the fulfillment, the complete fulfillment of this prophecy was in seven. I think it was seventy A.D. when the temple fell and Jerusalem fell, and they sacked the temple, just as Jesus said they would, and. Another, uh, this was talked about in Daniel as well, and back in the days of the Maccabees, when the Greeks overtook uh, Jerusalem and they they sacrificed a pig, an abomination in the temple. That was also a foreshadowing of it. But Jesus talked about it here. Maccabees was in the days before Jesus, a couple hundred years before him. This is him talking about it again, saying it'll be fulfilled. It'll it'll come again. It happens in 70 A.D. It will happen again in its full completeness uh, later on when the Antichrist is the ultimate abomination of desolation in the temple that's rebuilt. The early Christians talk about this temple being rebuilt and the Antichrist sitting in it. The, the early Christians, I'm talking about ones that were after, that came in after 
the temple was sacked in AD, in 70 AD. So these this was after the temple was already destroyed. They said there's going to be another one built. So anyway, but I won't go on a rabbit trail there. But we also know that it'll happen again in the future, not just in 70 AD, because it says here after all those things in verse. Uh, 21 for then shall be great tribulation such as uh, was not since the beginning of the world to this time no nor shall be and except those days should be shortened there should be no flesh be saved but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened and then if any man shall say unto you lo he, here is Christ or there believe it not for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders and so much that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect behold I, I told you I have told you before wherefore if they shall say unto you behold he is in the desert go not forth behold he is in the secret chambers believe it not for as a lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even into the west so shall it be also the coming of the son of man be for the wheresoever the carcasses is there will the eagles be gathered together so he said when they say here he's in the secret place the secret chambers the the temple believe it not when he says he's in the desert don't believe it jesus came from uh from mary uh, being birthed as a as a man the first time he came when he comes back he's coming in the clouds as the the warrior that will completely take he told Pilate in in john chapter 18 verse uh, 36 he said my kingdom is not of this world for if it was of this world my servants would fight that i shouldn't be delivered to the jews but right now it's not we read in a while ago in revelation when jesus comes back then the kingdoms of this world should become the kingdoms of our god in christ then he will he will do that so he said, when he comes back, you'll know it. It'll be like lightning striking from east to west. You'll know when Jesus comes back. So he says here in 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. shall this, So right after the, the, the tribulation he just described, right? He's, this is Paul paraphrasing Jesus. In Paul's Second Thessalonians 2, he said, those th- uh, the day of the Lord and the rapture won't happen until these things fulfill. Twenty immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other and he talks about learning from the fig tree and when it's the branches uh it bends it's summer it's green when it snaps it's winter that kind of that kind of a lesson he said no one when you know this when you see these signs the generation won't pass till all these things be fulfilled uh you won't know the day or the hour but you know the season that so go back and read the whole chapter in context 24 and also 25 but that's exactly what paul said would happen so when you see those things we should respond in the way jesus responded right not in um using the way of the world but using the way of the lamb Right, the way into the kingdom is also the way of the kingdom, as Phil Baker said in his book Faithful Witness. It, it's a, 
we Jesus is our example. How he responded to the man conspiring against him, we should respond to the conspiracy against us, right? So, this revelation describes two different ways people will respond when the tribulation comes. In Revelation 13, Revelation 12, and also Revelation 13. So we're going to read the two ways that, and again, read this in context, but this is in the same context. So, this is the way that the world will respond during in that time in the the day of uh when the 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 whole world is put into the the, the church the believers are put in tribulation but the whole world is in it right there's two ways the the narrow way the broad way as jesus put it in in matthew 7 right there's only the two ways. This is the way, the two ways people respond in that time. It says here in Revelation 13, 9 through 10, If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. Remember what Jesus said to Peter when he disarmed Peter's sword. And healed the man's ear in the garden of Gethsemane. So back to the scripture here in verse verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. He said in verse 9. The verse before is, If any man have, it, have an ear, let him hear. So in the chapter before this. In, in chapter 12 in verse 11 this is our battle plan this is our our this is our command this is our this is how we overcome the enemy the overcome the the one that is that is uh controlling that is puppeting and controlling all these evil things going on it says in ch- uh, chapter 12 of revelation verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. It's interesting. Because in the next chapter, it condemns the ones who use the sword. He says they will be killed by the sword. But the way the saints overcome the enemy, the 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 antichrist the beast right the devil the one the way that we as followers of jesus overcome is by the example jesus gave the way into the kingdom is also the way of the kingdom they overcame him by the blood of the lamb by the sacrifice that jesus gave to bring us onto the vine to bring us into the kingdom by the word of our testimony by living our lives according to the way he commanded us to. By by the, the way of the kingdom. The way into the kingdom is the way of the kingdom. That is by not loving our lives even unto death. Just like Jesus did. Just like he commanded us to do if it comes to it. 
I'm not saying that we're some kind of weird suicidal cult or anything crazy like that. But we love Jesus more than we love our own lives. We we give everything to Him. We surrender everything to Him because we fully believe in action, not just by in word, that there that if we are faithful, like Jesus said, if you endure to the end, the same will be saved. If we are faithful, we will be with Him in eternity. That there actually is an eternity. This eternity we talk about as Christians all the time, but we don't live like it's real. This is the way we overcome the enemy. It's, it's There's three parts to it, but it's really one thing. By the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. If you don't get nothing else from this whole episode, get that. Understand that. Pray for wisdom. He that has an ear, let him hear. I pray that you understand what that means. The way into the kingdom is also the way of the kingdom. I've said that many times. I'd encourage y'all to read Phil Baker's book, Faithful Witness, because he goes into great detail and is very does a great job of explaining how that, what that looks as far as how the Jesus is our exampled it. The apostles lived it, and the first three hundred years of Christianity lived that. So, we we read a little while ago, uh, just a minute ago, really, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two. If you keep going down, we read to verse four. Uh, he talks about. Or we'll just go start verse five. Uh, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now ye know uh, what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time for the mystery of, you know, he just talked about, uh, he's talking to the brethren about the day of the Lord, the gathering unto him, not being deceived, that the, that, the, that day, the day of the Lord, the rapture, won't come until the falling away, the man of sins revealed in the temple, just like what Jesus said. And then he here it is, uh, and then he talks, here it is where we are now. Um, revealed in this time the mystery of iniquity doeth well already work. Uh, also he who now letteth will let, will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even so when Jesus comes back, he'll make these things right. We have to fight in the way Jesus commanded us to. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So listen to this, verse 11 of Second Thessalonians 2, chapter 2. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned to believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They 
didn't love the truth, so they believed the lie. Jesus says, we read a minute ago in Matthew 24, that if it was possible that even the very elect, the believers would be saved, uh, would be deceived by the deception. The deception would be so great, it would deceive even the, even the very elect if it was possible. That should not scare us, but it should sober us up. It should make us throw out all these uh, these these different uh, doctrines and these different man-made uh, ideas about all this stuff and uh, any hope in any man. <laughs> that should right there kill any hope in any man it said in first Thessalonians 5 when they say peace and safety then sudden destruction come as a prevailing woman as uh, labor pains on a woman it's a it's when they talk about all this this stuff this uh the they bring the nations together under this false peace right uh, when they they bring the nations together in to worship in this temple that's rebuilt in Jerusalem, so that all nations, all religions can worship the quote unquote Christian, <laughs> even though it's they're not Christians that are <laughs> be worshiping in that worshiping the Antichrist in that temple, but the Christians, the Muslims, the the Jews, the the Buddhists, the Hindus. This is what the Temple Institute is saying. This is their their primary sources saying that this temple that they're getting ready to build will be for all religions to worship in this reuniting of the world into peace, right? This this false peace. When to the world this looks like it's great, but the scripture says that that sudden destruction will follow that, and the man of sin will be revealed, falling away. People will put their, be putting their hopes in. This doctrine, uh, if whatever I read tonight uh, contradict, I'm not saying what I said, but what I read in Scripture, if it contradicted something you believe, a doctrine you believe, and it, you may or may not understand what I'm talking about, but it, for those of you who um, who it did, you will. If it contradicts what you believe, then don't be afraid when you realize that you're you're here when this stuff is happening because paul said right there brethren talking to believers the day of the lord and the gathering together unto him won't happen until the falling away comes first and the man of sin be revealed don't be afraid of when these things you see these things happen don't be one of those who falls away out of fear in losing it all Right, St- endure until the end, Jesus said, because our hope isn't in this life. Our hope is in the next. Our hope isn't in the, the leaders of this world. It's in the king of our kingdom, Jesus. This is important. This is literal, eternal life and death situations here. This is, understand these things. Eternity, pers- eternity perspective. Eternity perspective. You've got to love the truth or you will believe the lie. It says in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 11. 
uh, verses 13 through 14. For such are false apostles, uh, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Here in verse 15. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whom end shall be according to their works. So he said, say even Satan comes across as an angel of light. So don't be surprised when his ministers, his uh, his angels, his fallen angels, his his uh, workers do the same thing. They come across as an angel of light. So we have this whole uh, false light movement. This new this yoking with the new age. This false light. The like uh, magic has the right and left handed path, right? The the white magic and the black magic. The uh, the <laughs> the same demons uh, control white magic and black magic. It's they're both being they're they're using demonic means to do both. One appears to be good. One is obvious, blatant evil. It's just like this whole false dichotomy I've been talking about the whole time with the. Uh, Satan providing the problem of the deep state, uh, new world order, whatnot, the 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 dark side, and then coming in as the light, uh, looking, appearing to be the. So he is the false light, saving us from that obvious, blatant darkness. It, he he will deceive the very elect if it was possible. You gotta love the truth, or you believe the lie. So don't just go headstrong into uh, this whole uh, movement of the awakening and all these different uh, things. Just uh, you gotta have discernment. We've gotta bring awareness to this stuff, but not be putting our hope and our faith in men to come and. Uh, the the alliance the, the you know the the QAnon these people that try to come in you know the, the, it is extremely new age if you if you look into these sources these people are extremely new age in what they say that this whole save yourself that you're your own savior kind of stuff is extremely new age what the apostle John and first John said is the spirit of the antichrist the the new age the gnostic spirit of the is the spirit of the antichrist that will be the end times religion is the new age which roots in all religions of this world that's uh the uh, catholic mysticism jewish mysticism the kabbalah the, the uh even in the muslim tradition it it the especially in the buddhism hinduism um, all the ancient pagan religions, the Native American religions, that all religions in the world that the New Age has its its roots in all of them. That's why John said, even back then, he said that the spirit of the Antichrist is even there now. Talking about the Gnostics, that whole book is addressing the Gnostics. First John is, if you read it in context of the whole book, so it's the Gnostics is a is a flavor of what we would call the New Age now. So it, there's going to be people that are going to be killing us thinking that they are doing God a service, right? They're so believed into this light that they're part of this light. Uh, they're going to be saying, you're not fighting against the darkness, so you're 
with the way of the world so you must be part of them right it's this whole new age is is a movement is trying to free themselves liberate themselves from the oppressive god of the bible if you really look at what these people are saying that's what they're saying and we're trying to yoke ourselves with these people like it's adulterers and adulteresses don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with god and to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of god james 4 4 you've got to understand that john 16 2 right that's where jesus said said that that uh, they shall put you out of the synagogues yea the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think they do with god's service there a lot in the very end times the very much of the persecution will come from from professing christians thinking that they're doing god a service it'll be from people who are so they they love the country they live in so much more that they're going to actually be killing other professing christians because of they already do it with their speech they already do it with their words they're going to literally be doing it at one point in time. Again, going back to Revelations, the way, the two ways that people fight, he that lives by the sword will die by the sword. He, and then the way we fight, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the land, the word of our testimony, and not loving our life even unto death. We fight the real enemy. Those are warrior words, not pacifist words, but fighting the real enemy. By the way of the Lamb. So. Understanding that the same puppet master pulls both the right and the left strings. Going back to that thief or that 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 uh, evil man that set the, the explosion up a mile down the track of the train. That came back and saved the train from the, from the explosion. You know that he himself just set up. This idea that. The, the ultimate Hygarian dialectic where as truthers where a lot of the times we're kind of, we we we're easily see all this all these uh, problem reaction solutions uh, you know the 9/11 Katrina this uh, CVID virus right now um, all these different things right now that are uh, examples of uh, the problem, reaction, solution, Hygarian dialectic, but we're blinded to the ultimate one that Satan himself is providing these problems so that we we he controls our reaction. He controls both the darkness and the false light movement of re- rebellion to the um, the resistance to the new world order he controls both sides he's going to come leading eventually the and i'm not necessarily i'm not talking about anybody i'm not talking about any necessarily like any past presidents or anything like that so don't confuse what i'm saying but there will come a man who comes leading the the charge exposing and overthrowing the new world order and that man I personally believe scripture talks about will be the Antichrist. He will come as the savior of humanity. And if people don't love the truth, they will believe the life. They don't look to Jesus as our king as our only true hope. Then they will fall right into the lie. 
They would be so scared of uh, not doing all these... (laughs) Their fear will lead them into doing the thing that that they're afraid of. Um, Let me kind of show you this a little bit. Revelation 17 through 19. Go ahead and just read that in its entirety. Talking about the mystery horror Babylon. And in your own time, I would encourage y'all to read all three of those chapters. And it, in context, it talks about, very clearly, to paraphrase those three chapters, it talks about mystery Babylon. The great mother of harlots, abominations of the earth. It describes it very well as what we would call the deep state or the new world order right now. The Babylonian system, the old mystery Babylon system. The seven hills on many waters that there's different things that I could go into. It would be a whole nother show on how that shows like DC being on seven hills, uh, many waters, Rome, Jerusalem, kind of like a three-legged stool kind of thing. But, uh, you know, political, religious uh, legs to the stool, different things. Um, but ultimately it describes the system that is going is going on right now that we're in this new world order system but here's the thing the bab mystery babylon is not the b system read it revelation 17 says the angel said in in verse 7 wherefore didst thou marvel i will tell thee the mystery of the woman and the beast that carried her so the beast carries the woman the beast not only carries his own system but he also carried the woman he supported both same puppet master pulls both strings which had the seventh heads and ten horns and again read this in context because it goes into greater detail i'm just trying to go through a couple verses because we've been going for a long time the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition and that they that dwelleth on the earth shall wonder those names who are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is and here is the mind which hath wisdom and the seven heads and the seven and or seven mountains which the woman sitteth and there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and another is not yet come. And when it, he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was, and is not, even he is the eighth, and is the seventh, and is of the seventh, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no... And go back and read the vision that he's explaining right now in your at the beginning of the chapter. But no receiveth... Uh, which have received no kingdom as a yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. And these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. They shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Called and chosen and faithful. 
the lamb will overcome him is what it says in verse 14 but understand so he says here in verse 12 10 horns saw their 10 kings so and it, and it says which have received no kingdom as yet must receive but must receive power as kings one hour with the beast so this is a coalition this is a confederation of seven kingdoms seven kings being led by the this is a seven you might say nationalist kingdoms that are under the rulership of the antichrist this is not uh this one world new world system it will be one world under (laughs) system under the antichrist but this whole picture that we paint of the one world this that and the other is that babylonian system that's that will come to its fruition at the end but we'll here in a second we'll see will be overthrown the beast itself overthrows the whore of babylon the babylonian system the new world order will be overthrown by the beast understand this the beast system is the antichrist system not the babylon system the ho- read read these chapters it talks about babylon has fallen babylon has fallen the it the beast is the one that is used to overthrow this system He said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, their peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, then ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, so that those ten horns, it's just said the ten kings, those ten kingdoms that are that are led under the that are under the ruler of the Antichrist, will hate the whore. So the whore rides the beast. The beast controls the whore, but the, it will eventually overthrow the whore. It will hate the whore, make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill His will. And to agree, so God is used again. No one can no one can disagree with the Antichrist is evil. I mean that he is evil. He is not a righteous person by any sort of the imagination. But it says here, God had put in their hearts to fulfill His will, and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast, and to the words of God shall be fulfilled. This is an example of what I was talking about a while ago. God sets up kings, He brings them down. So resisting that trying to go against that is really going against the will of god and rebellion is going against the will of god god uses these things to these kingdoms these kings throughout the bible old and new to accomplish his ultimate sovereign will to judge the babylon system he will be judged this new world order will be taken down and it will be taken down scripture says by the beast system in the beast system the antichrist system will be overcome by the lamb when he returns so don't be deceived when the man of sin comes promising all this peace and safety and all this this freedom and liberation from the oppressive uh matrix of the of the um (laughs) 
the the slavery and all this other this new age term this new age terminology right that we see all the time they were seeing more and more now don't be deceived by this because yes that these threats are real they will be overtaken but it's they're being overtaken by the beast himself and jesus the lamb will come back and overthrow the beast he will he will make all things right when he returns look to him don't look to the man and in the woman which thou sawest is the great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth just go through and, and read the next couple chapters read again read these three or four chapters in context i just wanted to to show a little bit about what it talked about the the beast overthrowing the the whore of babylon the the neural order system so where is all this leading what is the point of all of this jesus said there are two ways the way that leads to life the way that leads to death all ways in this world all the religions of this world all the the ways of man lead to the way of destruction eternal death jesus is the only way to life there is no other way his way read what he said in the sermon on the mount that is the way to life it is only through him his sacrifice on the cross he died for even his enemies taking their place on the cross conquering and overcoming sin and death and hell and raise raising from the dead on the third day by his blood and believing on what he did we can be saved and put on to the vine as he said in, in John chapter 15 we can be put onto the vine. We can be saved from God's wrath by believing on the name of the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus. By confessing Him as Lord and Savior and God and King, but understand with that what you're doing. You're changing your allegiance from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God and the King our king who is jesus when you're being baptized you're being you're dying to your old life and you're resurrect you're you're not you're being reborn jesus said you have to be born again you're dying to your old sinful life you're giving it to jesus to be nailed on the cross and you're being resurrected i'm i'm sorry you're being reborn you're being born again into newness of life all things have gone away behold all things have become new and we will be resurrected when jesus comes back first the dead then the living right he comes back and takes up the dead and then the living right but count the cost this could cost this way of eternal life could cost you your life it could cost you your family it could cost you everything in this life but know the eternal worth that it will provide you I'm leave y'all with this So, so if you 
choose to do that, if you choose to count the cost, to surrender your life to Jesus, die to yourself and be born again, you're dying to your old life. Your your father was the devil, the ruler of this world, the little g God of this world. And when you're being born again, your father is now God, the father. That's why you had to die and be born again. New life, completely different, new life. If you choose to do that and to follow Jesus in whatever he commands us to do. 1 John says my in chapter 2, my little in verse uh, sorry in verse 1, my little children these things write I unto you that ye sin not and if any man sin we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the perpetuation of our sins, and not only ours only, not ours on, for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And he, hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Talking about Jesus' commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. The Sermon on the Mount. If you obey those, you're loving God, you're loving your neighbor. He, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Here it is. Verse 6. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Jesus is our example. If we're to be be called followers of Jesus, we have to actually follow what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. This song that uh, I'm fixing to play is by Phil Baker. Uh, the song's called uh, War. And he uh, talks about in the song how we war as, as followers of Jesus. So until next time, this is uh, the return to the historic faith podcast in grace and peace my brothers and my sisters
Let's go.